Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Kind of all of those things where we have to take a more active role and our child is taking the more passive role in sleep, those are areas where it can become issues down the line. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. All right, today on The Less Stressed Life, we are going to talk about specifically sleep with kids and helping your kids sleep because it's such a stress-inducing piece of like life, right? Like if you cannot sleep, then nothing else is going to work, period. And unfortunately, there are reasons that we biologically do not sleep sometimes as adults, but when someone else is waking us up, like our kid or our dog, it sucks, right? And so that's why I invited Kariana Gibb, who is a child sleep expert, to come and chat with us today about what's normal, not normal, what you can do about it. So let's talk a little bit about Kariana. She is just a lovely lady. She is a pediatric sleep consultant, a mom of two boys that helps tired and overwhelmed moms teach their little people to love sleep, offering no nonsense sleep advice for ages zero to five years old. And I love how specific that is. And that makes perfect sense. And hopefully we kind of get into like every little bit of a section of sleep and what's kind of normal, not normal. Welcome, Kariana. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Krista. Yeah. I always think this is like a great first question. How did you get into this? Because you certainly, when you were graduating and doing career tests in high school, you did not say I'm going to be a sleep consultant um, (laughs) or pediatric sleep consultant. So tell me about what a pediatric sleep consultant does and how you got into it. Yes. So my job as a pediatric sleep consultant, I work with the ages zero to five years. So anywhere in there, when families are struggling with sleep, that's when I come in and help and just say, how can we maximize their sleep? How can we, you know, get them into some healthier habits that will 
suit them and their sleep needs more. So that's what I like to do. And honestly, it started because I had two boys and they were terrible sleepers when they were born. And when I was a first time mom, I was just kind of under this impression that I was going to be able to lay my newborn baby in his crib and that he would just magically sleep. And I just hadn't put any thought into it. And then when he came, that's very much not what happened. And it was a struggle. And so I did lots of reading, did lots of research. With my second son, I actually ended up working with a sleep consultant myself. And through that, that's how I kind of decided, you know what, I want to do this. This is amazing helping families. And so I went through a certification process and started building my business from there. Yeah. How old are your kids now? So when did you start doing that? Yeah. So I have a five and a seven-year-old. So gosh, I can't believe it's been seven years since I brought that newborn baby home and he wouldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. Exciting. And you saw a sleep consultant, you said for the second child, not for your first child, right? Yes. Yes. So with my first son, we did a lot of reading on our own and kind of did some sleep training on our own. And he was just, ever since then, he's been kind of like my angel sleeper almost. He's been really easy once we initially sleep trained him. And then my second son, we tried to do kind of the same thing. And that's when we realized, you know what, we need some more personalized help because what we know how to do isn't working the way it did with our first son. And so that's why we called some help in. How old was your second when you called in help? He was six or seven months around there. Okay. So I'd actually love to know, like, like here's where we're going to head. Cause you just dropped some, a comment that may be familiar to some people and it may not be to other people. So we'll talk about sleep training in a minute, but we're talking about a seven month old and you kind of have, I feel like some stuff broken down in sections on your site, like a zero to 12 weeks or zero to four months, four months to two years, um, mm-hmm. and then two to five years. And so actually, can we break down those divisions so we can help? Like, I think yeah. I'd like to visualize like what's normal for sleep in these stages. Cause it feels like these are intentional stages that you've kind mm-hmm. of segmented in and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, let's just say what's like normal amounts of sleep maybe for those age groups or anything else that you would want to say for each of those age groups. Yeah, that is a great, great question. So what I would say with the kind of that first age group, the newborn stage is what I call it. Usually that's about zero to three months right in there. And the thing with newborns is their sleep is just so up and down. Really anything is considered normal. I try to stay away from like telling parents like your newborn should be sleeping X amount of hours in a day or this many naps or that their nap should be, you know, two hours long because every newborn is so, so different. And honestly, newborn parents don't need more to be stressed about, you know, to be trying to hit specific numbers. So everything we do with the newborn stage is all about setting up safe sleep habits and kind of laying a foundation for sleep that they can then draw on as they get older. So I'm always just talking about practice and exposure at that age. Try laying them down awake, try setting them in their crib for sleep, but it's all low-key practice because sometimes newborns just need to be snuggled more and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. There is like kind of a shift where we have to go from newborn stage where we're sleeping pretty well, or maybe if babies fall asleep at the breast or milk drunk all the time. And then there comes a time where it's like, oh crap, I would like to not have my baby falling asleep. I would like him not to have to pacify them to necessarily go to sleep. And so that might fall into that second stage, which is you said zero to four months is newborn, right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so we call four to 24 months, what? I would say more the baby stage. I know it's kind of baby and, and early toddler, but that's the stage when we can really be making big changes and teaching them a new way to fall asleep and really focusing on how many naps we have a day, how well those are spaced out. We can just be much more intentional about those things to help improve their sleep. So that feels like kind of a big gap. Maybe the first question on on that spread, which is four months to 24 months or four months to two years is when do babies start first sleeping through the night and when do they first start? Like, it seems, you know, it's like exciting when they start doing that and then they start waking up again shortly after that. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of what's normal for amount of sleep in this stage, even if you have to break it up a little bit more and when do babies sometimes start to sleep through the night and then start to wake up again and what's going on there? Yeah. So with sleeping through the night, that can really happen at any age. Sometimes it does start happening in the newborn stage. Um, And a lot of times if you hear families say like, oh, they slept all night as a newborn, but then we hit like four-ish months and then they started waking every hour again. You know, there is a four-month sleep regression that is a very real thing that happens that starts to cause that. And there are various regressions throughout kind of those first two years almost that will happen. And that can be when we have, you know, maybe we have a sleeper that's going most of the night and then they start adding wake-ups in again. So that can be normal. A lot of it also comes down to how we respond when we have those weird times of regressions. You know, if, if our child's been going sleeping on their own all night and then they go through a regression and have more wakings, Are we adding in, you know, these extra habits that maybe they didn't need before, like adding in a feeding or adding in a rocking them back to sleep? Those things tend to stick around more, even once the regression is gone. So that can kind of get you back into maybe territory that you don't want to be in. But yeah, as far as like how much sleep really from that four to 24 months, you're looking at somewhere between 10 and a half to 12 hours of night sleep that we would want them to be getting. That's kind of a general guideline there. And then for napping, they're going to be taking anywhere from three to one nap during that age range. Usually we're on three naps between months four and seven. Usually we move down to two naps around eight months and we stay there until about 15 months. And then after that point, we're down to just one nap. The other thing I would say that that age four to 24 months has in common most often, not all of the time, but most often, is that they're still going to be sleeping in a crib. So they aren't out of the bed with kind of that freedom to, you know, get up and move around in their room. Got it. Okay, cool. And then we have toddler age. And I do have a particular question about this. This is two to five, right? Mm -hmm. five years. And what happens after five years where sleep consultants are like, that's not my specialty anymore. Like what's going on there? Yeah. So the main thing I would say is just that a lot of the certifications that are out there that I go through to become a sleep consultant, that those kind of cut off at five years. So it's like to do, you know, older children, teens, even adults, it's going to be a different type of certification. Now, a lot of the things that we teach, honestly, for babies, 
on up is very much similar to adults, you know, things like a good routine and getting enough sleep, like it doesn't just magically change because you become past five years. And I have worked with some six and seven year olds in there as well. But yeah, that five year mark is just kind of it's not a magical age. It's just kind of where I've chosen to keep my niche in. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. And I understand that because I actually like kids under five for other like stuff I work on, which is skin Mm -hmm. stuff or eczema, because after that, they kind of have a little bit more of their own, like a mind of their own. Whereas under that time, mom can kind of like manipulate some things. It's a little easier. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But when they, once they get a kind of a mind of their own, then it seems to vary by the age on like what, what we can get away with doing Um, (laughs) before that mom's in charge. So if you said something before about different sleep regressions that can happen in the first two years, and this makes me think about, so like the most recent experience where I continue to hear about a sleep problem is there was this personal trainer. I was doing her workouts and she would complain about her child being up all night. And this child is probably between like four and six. And I'm thinking like, this is not okay. You should probably go to a sleep consultant, but like shocks about it throughout the workout. So it's so fun for me to listen to all the time. And I was going to say, you said, she's like, she's going through a sleep. I'm like, you don't go through a sleep regression forever, you know? So are there later sleep regressions? Let's talk about what is a sleep regression? Maybe it's what we should do first. Mm-hmm. What are like myths? Like, it's kind of like when people have a chronic thing and they're like, it's allergies. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> is it allergies? But like sleep regression, I feel like that's my analogy for that. Um, <laughs> is it a sleep regression or is it like not good sleep stuff? Like, does it need more tweaking? So let's talk about what a sleep regression is, when they usually happen, and when it's not a sleep regression. Yeah, no, and that is such a good question. The first thing I want to say is sleep regressions are not truly like evidence-based. Okay. We know that kids go through different developmental things. You know, every child goes through them at different times. So I would say the only difference with that is like the four month regression that I mentioned, and it can happen anywhere between three and five months. Technically that one is when your child's sleep cycles change from newborn sleep cycles to almost exactly like adult sleep cycles. So adult sleep cycles are longer, more like 90 minutes. And in the baby stage, they're still going to be only 45 minutes long, but that happens. Everybody goes through that. The other regressions, you know, there can be one at six months, around eight months, around 12 months, you know, around 15 months, 18 months, 24 months. I mean, they're kind of all over. And then if you also take into account, you know, the variability of every baby, you know, every baby is not going to hit one right at eight months. It may be a little before or after you really just have the whole first two years. You got to know there's going to be ups and downs. And Mm -hmm. sometimes as parents, it's helpful for us to be able to like blame it on something, you know, or say, okay, this is why they're struggling. This is what's going on. But yeah, like you also mentioned, it can kind of become this thing of, I'm just always full of excuses seems like too harsh of a word, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm always full of a reason why we're struggling. And then you look backwards and it's really just been months upon months upon months. Right. Um, And when you're sleep deprived, God love you, you don't really know. And so you, it's hard to see the label on the bottle when you're inside the bottle. So Mm -hmm. never a blame. Like this podcast is for supporting a woman who needs sleep and a dad and the family or whoever, you know what I mean? Okay. So how long does a sleep regression sort of kind of last? Sort of, kind of two to four weeks, anywhere in there. And I mentioned this a little earlier, the length of it 
can also be really dependent on how we handle the sleep regression. So if we go through a sleep regression and we add in all these extra habits that our child didn't need before, then we are kind of almost guaranteeing that regression is going to take longer or that it may not ever feel like it goes away until we actively reverse those habits. Mm. You know, so for example, if you have a baby that you can lay down awake in their crib, they'll fall asleep on their own. Maybe they wake once at night, but they can settle themselves back down. And then you hit a sleep regression and now they're up three or four times a night. And so you start going in and feeding them to sleep or rocking them to sleep, not saying that that's bad or that you like should never do that. But we also need to be mindful that then those things can continue even once the regression is gone because our child can kind of get used to that and start to expect it. And so in order to kind of get away from that, we have to do some habit breaking. Um, So yeah, I would say two to four weeks-ish for regressions, but know that it can feel like longer if we add in extra habits during that time. Okay, that's a great next place to go. But I want to make sure that we, you know, kind of finish defining that toddlers need or kind of what's expected at that time frame of age, two to five years. Yeah, I would say, and you know, two to five years, again, that's a big range, mm-hmm. but we're probably looking at 13 hours at the high and maybe more like 10 hours at the low end. By five, most kids are not going to be napping anymore and that's okay. And so they may be getting 10 hours at night. They may be getting 12 hours at night. I find there's a lot of variability there. You know, even within my own two sons, I've noticed this where my oldest son napped until he was five. And then we kind of had to stop him from napping because of, you know, just life going on. And my younger one was kind of done napping around three and a half. And my older son could have easily kept napping past five. My younger son was just done. And kids in that range are going to be very different. But if I had to give an hourly amount, I would say between 10 and 13 hours in like a 24-hour period, that's about where they'd fall. I love hearing about a first versus a second child because the first child is like cake very commonly Mm -hmm. versus the second one is like, oh, you're not going to be easy, are you? You're like... Mm -hmm. You want to have your own personality. So anyway, those are like uh, birth order things. And I love like looking at birth order and seeing, yep, you match. You match the same (laughs) situation. Your second child probably like didn't have time to nap because he had to keep up with his brother. Um, I'm totally joking. Although his brother was still napping when he stopped napping. So, you know. So funny. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about maybe accidental habits or kind of like a list of a screening list, screening tool, if you will, things that we're doing that are not supporting sleep that we accidentally, like you said, add, and you've kind of alluded to some of them. Let's go ahead and put them in a list of things that could be screened with your child's sleep schedule, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so first thing I want to say, the things on this list you may be using or someone could be using and sleep could be going like, okay, great. And if that's the case, then these aren't like bad things that you should never, ever do. It's more just that if you're struggling, these are the very things that might be causing the issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would be things like feeding to sleep, whether that's nursing or bottle feeding, things like the pacifier. The pacifier is a great tool for the newborn stage, 
not so much as they get older, um, especially if they can't replace it themselves. So the pacifier could be something that's unhelpful. Things like laying with them until they fall asleep or having to rub their back until they fall asleep. You know, some funny ones that I've heard time and time again is like having to bounce on the yoga ball while you hold your baby to get them to fall asleep. So kind of all of those things where we have to take a more active role and our child is taking the more passive role in sleep, those are areas where it can become issues down the line. I like the way you said that. Anything where we take an active role and our children take a passive role is a potentially an issue. And that is like a cool way to just summarize a lot of potential situations that are going on. So that's a checklist of accidental habits or things that we take an active role in and our child takes a passive role in. How about the thing that the child is like taking the active role in and not on the parent? It's not a habit. It's like, these are causes of sleep. For example, nighttime itching or eczema, maybe teething. What else would you put on the list of like, these are reasons that maybe a child will have disturbed sleep? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So like you said, you know, teething, eczema, Anytime that they're learning a new motor skill, like maybe they've just started to roll, that can become kind of a fun game in the crib of rolling and then not being able to get back or being mad that they're in one position over the other, crawling, pulling up to stand. That can be a really difficult one, especially if they haven't yet learned how to get back down. So they pull up to stand and then they're kind of stuck walking. I actually just got off a call with a mom and she was saying, you know, sleep's been so weird this last two weeks. And we were talking through things. And two weeks ago, her daughter started walking like almost to a T right when the sleep issues kind of started. So yeah, anytime there's new motor skills, anytime that language is developing, and sometimes you may not even be noticing that the language is developing, like you're not hearing it from them a ton, but just in their brain, their brain is just making all these connections and it can be disruptive to sleep. Hmm. Um, So those were kind of the things I would put on that list. I would not have guessed that. I did not know new motor skills or language developing was a potential cause for sleep disruptions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Crazy. Okay. Let's see. We were going to talk about, so we've talked kind of about sleep regression, normal, like what it is, what's normal, what's not normal. We talked about when should you be sleeping? Then before we got on the air, you said the most common question you get is like, is sleep training okay? And so my first question would be, what is sleep training? Yes. Yes. And what's so funny, I'm sure we'll get into this a little more. Honestly, we are sleep training our babies every day whether we realize it or not, or we're sleep training our kids every day, whether we realize it or not, because sleep training is simply teaching your child to fall asleep in a certain way. So a lot of times when we say sleep training, what we actually mean is teaching them to fall asleep on their own without those extra things like feeding to sleep, rocking to sleep. But on the flip side, if we are rocking our child to sleep every night, and that's the only way they know how to fall asleep, we are sleep training them to fall asleep that way and only that way. So it's kind of a funny term because we have something mean when we say it, but also we're doing it all the time, whether we realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when people ask you, is sleep training okay? What do you think they're thinking? Yeah. So when people ask me that, what they're meaning is, is it okay to teach my child to fall asleep without these extra props, without me taking that active role? 
in getting them to sleep. It's sometimes they even mean like just for night wakings doing that rather than initially at bedtime or, you know, if they're struggling with short naps or leaving them in there after a short nap, that can be sometimes what they mean too. But basically just teaching them to fall asleep where the child is the one taking that active role instead of the parent. This makes me wonder about the question, is it okay to let a baby cry themselves to sleep? Yes, that's a great question. And I get that one all the time. What I tell families and what we see in the research is that using sleep training methods is safe and effective. Now, nobody likes to hear their child cry. And I am not one to say like that you have to put your child in their crib, shut the door and not come back. That isn't realistic to most families. If you choose to do it, the research supports that that's safe and effective, but that's not for every family. And in fact, most of the families I talk to, that's exactly what they don't want to do. So there are various methods we can use, whether we are leaving the room, but going back in and checking on them, or maybe we're staying in the room the whole time while they fall asleep and we're touching and soothing We're just not doing the hard lifting ourselves, the heavy lifting. And all of those are valid and safe options. So we know from the research that we have that sleep training is not harmful. And what I think helps parents a lot when we're thinking about this is that crying in some ways has become this like huge negative thing. Like you should never, ever let your child be crying. If they cry, we have to soothe them and quiet them as soon as we possibly can. And really crying is a messenger. Crying is not like this good or bad thing. It's morally neutral, right? And crying is just them communicating to us. And it's okay if they're communicating I don't like this. I don't know how to fall asleep this way. I don't want to do this. I'm tired. And it's okay if we communicate back by simply saying, I'm here for you. I know you're upset, but this is how we're going to fall asleep. You know, it's okay to be loving and to hold that boundary. It is possible to do both at the same time. Oh, boundaries. Such a healthy thing (laughs) for all times of life, right? Mm -hmm. Gosh, sleep is such a tricky tricky little slippery hill. So one of the things that we have down on our list today is four tips to better baby and toddler sleep. I don't think we've covered that yet. So I'm gonna let you take it away on like, what are four tips for a better baby and toddler sleep for a parent that is struggling? Yes. Yes. So four kind of main things, and there are always going to be more than just these four, but I would say these are the main things that I specifically tackle with the families I work with because they're just very core to our sleep. So the first one would be sleeping environment, right? So if we're expecting our child to sleep well, we have to do things to kind of prep their body for good sleep. And sleep environment is a huge one. So by that, I mean, getting the room very, very dark for sleep. As humans, anytime that our retinas sense light, it sends a signal to our brain to stop producing melatonin. And that's our sleepy hormone. So if we want our child to sleep well, we have to give them that ideal sleep environment. So dark at night, dark early in the morning when some will start waking, you know, around 5, 5.30 a.m. needs to be super dark then. Nap time needs to be dark as well. That can one can be harder to achieve because you have to, like you literally have to cover your windows in some way because light is going to come in during the day. But darkness is huge. 
Another thing I would put under that sleep environment heading is white noise. So studies show us that white noise helps us fall asleep quicker, helps us spend less time awake overnight, and overall just improves our quality of sleep. So the way it works is it's, it kind of acts as a buffer. So even though we may be asleep, our brain is always processing stimuli and the white noise is going to mask and buffer outside sounds like the neighbor's dog barking next door or a car slamming or someone in the kitchen washing dishes. It's going to mask those sounds so that they don't pull your baby out of a stage of sleep when their brain you know, picks up on that stimuli. So that's kind of the first thing that I would well, say. I have some questions about, yes. <laughs> um, I, th- I was just thinking about white noise and I was thinking about, I think some people have really identified as an adult, even as an adult or as a traveling family with children. Mm-hmm. I think some people have really identified like what works well for them for sleep purposes. And we used to very much rely on a sound machine. I had my middle child who, you know, my second child who absolutely controls everything kind of like, you know, the second child does. <laughs> She really wanted to listen to this like melody on the noise machine. That was horrifying. I was like, I cannot listen. Like no one can listen to this. <laughs> anyway, I just think about, we used to travel everywhere with our noise machine. And even now we stay in a place often where I feel like those early morning sounds are mm-hmm. annoying. And I live in the country. So like even traveling to cities, I have now realized like, oh, I actually struggle with that a fair amount. So I like when you say, our brain is always processing stimuli, even if we're asleep. I think that's like goes along with kind of like when you kind of think you're sort of going to just take a quick little cat nap or close your eyes for a few minutes and you think you're like, you never really feel like you slept, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yet you obviously did sleep because like a couple hours passed or something like that. This is like almost what it reminds me of. Like, it's almost like you're still processing things. And so you're not really into to be asleep, like a, a stage of sleep discussion probably. What my real question is here is what are some of your favorite white, because I actually would love to have like a new white noise machine without any child sounds on it. Meaning like, I don't want the option for a melody because I cannot mm-hmm. sleep to this. And I, my oldest daughter's like, I hate this thing. <laughs> and we don't, I mean, we used it for a long time, but like going back to hotel thing, it would be great to have like the fan. And a lot of them do have a fan one, but I'm just curious if you have any mm-hmm. favorites. I actually had a client once who had to, have you ever heard of like brown noise? It's mm-hmm. like the opera. Yeah. So yeah, she had to, like, it was very odd. She had to actually like, she was one of those people who was very affected by, you know, blue light and all those sleep mm-hmm. hygiene things. So if you know what brown noise is, please tell us about it. And if you have any comments yeah. or suggestions for white noise or whatever, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So white noise, brown noise and pink noise, those are probably all three that you've heard of, or they're all very similar. You can use brown noise and pink noise effectively for sleep as well. They are different frequencies. So they're going to sound different. Some people will say that listening to white noise is a little on the harsh side for them. And so usually if they try pink or brown instead and kind of listen to those, those are more or just feel less harsh. Mm -hmm. Um, That's probably a complaint I hear from maybe families who are room sharing with their child. They've never slept with white noise. Now they have white noise because Mm -hmm. we're working together and I made them use it. And they're like, you know what? Our baby is sleeping way better with it, but it's really annoying to me because I've never used this my whole life. So then we'll usually try a pink or brown because it is just less abrasive. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Are you using an app or a device? A device. So the company that I really like using that I use myself and recommend is called Electrofan. 
and they have various different white noise machines. They have some that are kind of geared more toward kids, but that, you know, have white, brown, pink noise, as well as some, you know, like lullabies or crickets or whatever. But there's one called Electrofan Kinder. And that one has like a built-in nightlight as well that you can turn on or off, that you can change the color of the nightlight, which I love that one. Because if we are going to use a nightlight, ideally we wouldn't, but I know sometimes with those, you know, two, three, up to five years, they can be requesting nightlights. And if we use a red nightlight, red light does not inhibit melatonin production like blue or white light does. Mm -hmm. So I love that option on that one. There's also like for traveling, one that I love is the Electrofan Micro and it's like super small. If you charge it in, it's fully charged, it will run for 40 hours. So you can like throw it in the car if you need it. You can throw it in your purse easily. And then probably the one that I sleep with that is more of just an adult one, not that you couldn't use it for a kid, but it's just not like, you know, cool you don't have looking. to, you don't have to accidentally land on a melody that you cannot sleep <laughs> right. with because someone's right. controlling it. Yes. <laughs> I use the Electrofan Classic in my own room when I sleep. So that's a great one. And all it's got are fan and white noise options. So you're not going to accidentally find a melody that you hate. <laughs> So are you saying that this brand, like it literally has, does it speak to brown or pink noise if someone needs, if they're finding that the white noise is a bit harsher? Yes. Yes, it does. And I believe that, I don't know about the micro, if that one has pink and brown noise, but the classic and the kinder, those do have those different options you can choose, which is thank nice. Thank you. You reminded me that I had wanted to buy a new one. So thank you for Yay. the recommendation. Okay. <laughs> so sleep environment, dark room, something to keep the noise level steady and not like you're having stimuli essentially. What else mm-hmm. for tips for yes. better baby and toddler sleep? Yeah. So next thing I would say is having that age appropriate schedule. So making sure that your child is taking the right amount of naps for their age, that they're not awake for a super long time before their nap or too short of a time. Those things can all be really disruptive to not only their napping, but also their night sleep. It's all kind of connected. So if you have naps all wonky, usually nights are going to be wonky too. And, you know, just as an example, there's lots of ages, obviously, that we could talk about. But for an example, If we were talking about a six-month-old, ideally a six-month-old is going to be taking three naps a day, and they're going to have about two to two and a half hours of time awake between each of their sleeps. So wake up in the morning, have about two hours before their first nap, before we're offering that first nap. Then when they wake up from their first nap, have about two to two and a half hours before we put them down for their second one. And what that timing does is it ensures that they're not getting overtired because we're not keeping them up too long. So they're not getting overtired. Their body's not producing extra cortisol. Their body's not giving them, you know, doses of adrenaline to keep them up, which then makes it that much harder to get them to sleep later when you try. And then on the flip side, it also makes sure that we're giving them enough amount of awake time during the day so that they don't make up for it at night by trying to be awake a lot at night. So kind of finding that perfect schedule based on their age is the next thing that I would say is really crucial. Okay. 
What else? What's next? The next piece, and this is one we kind of already discussed, but is that independent sleep piece. So where your child is the one taking the more active role in falling asleep rather than it being on you. I mentioned earlier that, you know, their sleep cycles are about 45 minutes long and there is a potential every 45 minutes when they're transitioning from one cycle to the next, that they may briefly wake up. They won't wake up every time probably, but there's that potential each time. And so if they're having a brief waking and they're kind of realizing, oh, now I'm in my crib and last I was awake, I was snuggling with someone, you know, it's very jarring for them. And so they're going to need that help to go back to sleep. So if we can teach them to fall asleep on their own first, then they're going to be able to recreate that all throughout the night. And they wake up from a short nap. They're going to be able to have those skills to fall back asleep. Cool. That's like interesting to think about, right? They're just waking up and realizing what in the world I was, I was in a warm, it's on a warm belly before, before Mm -hmm. this anyway, just, yeah. I mean, it'd be like if we as adults, like fell asleep in our beds, snuggling our partner, and then we woke up on the couch by ourselves, like it would be like, whoa, what's yeah. going on? Like, you're not scared of your couch. You're, you know, a couch is a fine place to sleep, but it's not where you initially fall asleep. Right. Yeah. That is kind of funny. It's funny to think about that from baby perspective. Mm-hmm. So, all right. <laughs> yeah. What's the last one? So I would say the last piece is just about having consistent, predictable routines. So that's going to include things like the bedtime routine that we have something very specific we do every night. And this is important for baby, toddler, preschooler age, all the way up to adults. I mean, adults sleep better when they have a predictable routine that they do every night before bed. It just is a great signal to our brain prepping us for sleep. And especially with kids who have ups and downs all day, that predictability, there's a lot of safety and security in that for little ones. So having that consistency, and then I would say it goes even beyond just the bedtime routine, but to how we respond to them when we do lay them down. And if they do have a rough day or a rough night, maybe they're going through a regression. If we have a consistency with which we respond to them and we know like, okay, if they struggle, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And we do that every time that really helps them know what to expect rather than feeling like they need to try all the things to see what mom and dad are going to do or what their response is going to be this time. So consistency, I would say is just huge, especially if you're struggling with sleep. And to have like a toolbox as a parent from the parent perspective is an important piece of keeping your cool. I'm not saying that from experience. I'm saying that from being empathetic as you're talking about it, because my last two kids, 21 months apart, and you, as you mentioned, you can have sleep up and downs for two years. And so that's why having kids two years where I always feel like feels like a fog for a couple of years, or like you have mm-hmm. twins if they're a couple of years apart. I mean, it's close enough. And so, yeah, that when they share a room, which makes sense, it's funny, you know, when they grow up kind of sharing a room, because then they're like, I'm going to keep sharing a room with you. Um, But then they also kind of gang up on one person sometimes. And so it's good for a parent to have like, here's what I'm going to do about this. (laughs) And maybe I'm going to take a break from it if it's not going well, because I think it's actually a pretty big struggle for a lot of people. So consistent, predictable routines. And you were talking about 
things that were making me giggle as an adult too. So it's not good to pay your bills or do stressful things right before bed, right? Yes, because then our stress is all over the place. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge, right? To try to get them kind of settled down so they're not jumping all over the walls right before they go to sleep because it takes a while to tamp that back down. Yeah. And one thing that I will say that I've noticed with my own kids and then that clients tell me all the time, when you do have that predictable routine before bed, even if your child is not like seeming tired when it's bedtime, like they're not yawning yet or anything, as you go through the steps in the routine, they know what's coming and they will start to show those sleep signs. So like my son, like clockwork, when we would go into his room, we'd turn the white noise on and then get him changed. And as soon as that white noise went on, he would start yawning just because his brain knew like, okay, now it's sleep time. And it was his trigger to start settling in to fall asleep. Yeah. My husband used to just hang things over the curtain rod, like we were in college for so many years. And then I finally, you know, splurged on blackout curtains. Uh Those are quite nice (laughs) for your children's rooms. Very Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. All right. Talking about improvement timelines. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that those would vary quite a bit. However, let's give some people some hope or realistic, a dose of realism. What are some like normal, this would vary a ton, but like what could your expectations be for starting to see progress or improving your sleep if you're starting to put things in place in the right way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And you're right. It is going to vary a lot. What I find to kind of be the average And I've kind of built my services around this because this is just what I find to be the average is about two weeks. So some babies are going to pick things up. Some kids are going to pick things up a lot quicker. Some are going to take longer than two weeks, but two weeks is kind of the average where I tell parents like, let's make sleep our number one priority during this time. Let's be as consistent as we possibly can be. And let's ride out this two weeks. Um, we know we're going to see some kind of improvement in that time. We may not be all the way improved to you know where we want to be, but you should be seeing improvement as you go. But I would say two weeks is kind of the average for really seeing sleep come together more. I think that's an exciting timeline, mm-hmm. right? It's not too long. You're not going to lose track. I mean, it's something we can all do. We can all like be consistent about something for two weeks. So it's kind of fun because I'll do a lot of interventions and kind of expect to see changes start at that time as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's just right, right? Where it's not too long where we kind of forget what we're doing. Awesome. So what would you say, what would be your gut reaction to tell a parent that is struggling with sleep issues? What would you want to say to that mom or dad or parent or grandparent or guardian or whoever is helping take care of that child? What would you want to say to them? And then where can people find you online? Yeah. So I think what I would want to say to them, I know that sleep can feel like a really polarizing issue when it comes to our kids. Unfortunately, it has kind of become that way. And so I would just encourage you do your research and figure out if what you want to do, if you feel like what you're currently doing is sustainable, you know, then it's okay to keep doing what you're doing. If you feel like it's not sustainable, that's when we want to really look at do we need to make changes? And if you decide that you want to, I just want to encourage you that it is possible to make those changes, even though I know in the moment, it can feel just like very, very overwhelming. And you know, there can just be like information overload, but change is totally possible. And you know, like I mentioned earlier, the research we have around sleep training and sleep interventions is that it's effective. 
and that there are no long-term harm, no long-term negative effects to our child. In fact, we actually see in the short term that there's a lot of positive effects. So I would just encourage you with that if you're at that point where you're feeling like you need to make a change. Perfect. Where can people find you online? I know you have some great resources on your website. Thank you. Yeah. So you can find me online at allthesleeps.com. And I do have a fairly extensive blog on there with just tons of free resources. So if you're kind of in the researching and reading phase, that's a great option. I also have several different free downloads that you can check out. I have one specifically for that newborn stage, one specifically for that four to 24 month stage that walks you through those age appropriate schedules like we talked about. So that will talk you through that. And then I also have one for the two to five range. So definitely check those out if you're looking for more detailed specific info. If you're on Instagram or Facebook, I'm on them. I'm on Instagram a lot, but all the sleeps is where you can find me. And I I do lots of Q and A's and resources there as well. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yes. Thank you for having me. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to review this podcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's review this podcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.